He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Thanks, Peter, very much. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to adulting. I am going to be so nervous for the next five weeks, I'm going to say, welcome to adultery. But uh, (laughs) thanks, Tina. Thanks, Peter, for reading. That's awesome. Uh, Everybody doing well? What a beautiful day it is today. All right. So um, if you're here for the first time, we're thrilled that you're here. We're a church for people who don't go to church. I can't really explain that right now, but I'd love to meet you right over there at Grayson 5 after the service uh, is over. We Less than five minutes. We say five minutes or less. We'll tell you everything you need to know about this church, and we'll explain what in the world that means. You know what I find is, is though, we didn't come up with this this identity statement. We didn't. You know, it wasn't like, ah, let's sit around, what could we call ourselves? We prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and we felt impressed. We're to be a church for people who don't go to church. And what I have found is about half of church-going people are like, what is that? I don't think I like that. The other half seem to love it. But you know 100% of the people who do love that statement? Who? People who don't go to church, it's absolutely amazing. It's like God knew what he was doing, right? Because people who don't go to church, they hear it like, oh, I think I would love to go to a church like that. So if you're a church-going person and you know a non-church-going person, invite them to a church for people who don't go to church. See what the reaction is. Be an ambassador for Jesus. So just wanted to say that uh, real quick. Okay, adulting. So we started last week uh, on adulting, and today I want to talk a little bit about Homer Simpson. Anybody ever watched The Simpsons before? Since Oh! Oh, whoa, like nobody in the first service, but you guys are just so much more hip than the people in, in the first service. We did something fun in the lobby. You might have seen us do it, but there's an episode of The Simpsons that um, multiple people have actually sent this to me over the years. It's, it's called The Cafeteria God. I don't know if that's what they call it, but that's what theologians call it, Cafeteria God, that you're kind of, you're, you're looking at theology and you're looking at God like a cafeteria saying, you know what, I'll pick this or I won't pick this. And so Homer decides one day that he's going to create his own religion. He's going to have it model after whatever his likes and dislikes are. Like he didn't like Neil, so his God said no kneeling. 
Okay, things like that. And there's a scene of him in a bar, and he wanted to take the day off of work. And he's like, it's, it's my religious holiday. What's the holiday? The holiday of maximum occupancy. Because he was staring at the maximum occupancy sign. You know what I'm saying? It, it, you know, stuff like that. But we, you know, we kind of we pick and choose and things like that. So th- that's what we're going to talk uh, about today, this adulting. So, uh, you know, last week we said adulting is what? We read the definition from Urban Dictionary, and it's stuff like this. It's to pay your bills to go to work, to show up to work on time, to show up to work on time, well-groomed. I got something from somebody the other day, no, actually just yesterday, and they said, you know, they're having lunch with their siblings, so I am adulting today. So apparently that's added to the mix, right? (laughs) So when you actually force yourself to have lunch with your brothers and sisters, it's a sign of adulting. So those are the marks of adulting. And James, what's James all about? James has written to Christians specifically. We've got to be really clear here. Particularly today, we need to be really clear here because this message is directly to church-going Christians, the ones where the church of Jerusalem, which is like the real, real church. You know what I'm saying? It was like the Jerusalem church. And the whole idea was to help them to become spiritually mature, to spiritually adult. And he lists all these marks. What, so what does it look like? And last week we said patience. So when you're, when you're a baby or when you're young, right, you're really impatient. Like you get it now. And a mark of maturity is that you become more patient. And today, the mark is authority. It's authority, okay? And so the thing is that we want to say today very clearly, the key to the whole thing is is that you want to be under the authority of the Bible. You want to, if you're a mature Christian, right, if you've been, if you experience this spiritual new birth that the Bible talks about, that James talks about actually, then you actually want, and it's not have to. The words are really important here. It's not have to. You don't feel like, I've got to do this. There's a want to somewhere in there. There's a want to. And this is what, this is what he, he is saying. I'd like to go through you know, um, a, a couple of these verses, if I can, real quick in the beginning. Because he starts this whole section with everybody is clear. It's all about the Bible and being under the authority of God's work. That, that's where he starts. Right? But verse 18, before he gets in there, he says, He chose to give us birth. This is on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along. Uh, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits. What does that mean? Remember, he's writing to a Jewish audience. First fruits was, means that, oh, yes, my whole life is dedicated to God. I mean, so if you're first fruits, which he says every follower of Jesus Christ is, you're a kind of first fruit, means that you have dedicated your whole life to God. So what we see with Homer, what he was doing is he was like up here and he was looking down on the Bible, so to speak, right? So to speak. And he was leafing through it saying, I like this. I don't like that. That's too harsh. I don't care for that. Doesn't mean good. Oh, this is good. I like this. And so what James is saying is actually, if you're a spiritually mature Christian, that you're not looking down on the Bible, leafing through the Bible. The Bible is up here leafing through your life. Like, this is you, and Bible's up here, God's up here, and he's looking down, and he says, yeah, I like this. Oh, that needs to change. Uh, we're going to, uh, uh-huh, mm-hmm, that's, okay, this is good. All right, that's what, so the, the question to ask yourself, the mark of spiritual maturity is, which one is it? Is the Bible up here looking down on you, right? Or are we more like Homer Simpson looking down on the Bible saying, like this, don't like this? And that's the whole idea of being a cafeteria God. Verse uh, number 19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be 
quick to listen. We all naturally do that anyway. Uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The word righteousness is very interesting here. Throughout the Bible, it means to be in a right relationship with God, and we're told that we can only get there through Jesus Christ, okay? But here, James uses an additional idea with righteousness, the word he chooses, and it means to be in a right relationship with other people. Remember, it's really practical in nature, right with God, right with other people. And so this is where he's going. So he's saying, you can't, remember, they were in Jerusalem. They were the church. They believed and behaved like all this stuff. And all of a sudden, they get scattered everywhere. So imagine, they're experiencing culture shock. And even when, when, when they were in Jerusalem, even people who were outside of the church, they all had agreement. It didn't matter if you went to church or not. It's like, yep, 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 that's the Bible. That's the authority. All right, you're not a Christian, I am, but that's the authority. Everybody was in agreement. They, all, they were surrounded. They were, in, they were immersed in this culture of, yep, that's the authority. And now they're in a culture outside of Jerusalem. They're all over the Romans' province. Like, what? what? You got to be kidding me. You know, I'm going to obey this stuff? No way, right? I'll create a God in my own image. And they were being shocked by that. And so look, this is really good because this is human nature. So what's happening there? They're getting angry. They're getting really angry. And they're thinking that through their words, angry words, you can't do that. Stop doing that. That somehow people are going to get right as a result of that. And he says, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. So that's really quite interesting. Then verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. All right? And then he says, verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it will be blessed in what they do. Okay, so the person looking in the mirror, what's that all about? It means you just kind of carelessly, carelessly, quickly, casually, whatever, like, oh, okay, right? So the Bible, it's like a mirror. It's like a mirror. It shows us who we really are. That's why it's hard to really look intently into it because we see who we really are. That's an issue. So it's easier to kind of look at it quickly and grab out the things that I like or the things I want it to say so I can live the life I want to live, so I can maybe put that upon other people. You follow me? Okay. So this is what's going on. This is what, this is what they're dealing with. He uses the word intently. Very important word he uses here, intently. And I think I actually have a place for you to fill in a blank on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to. But this word is really important. It means to stoop down and carefully consider. It means to stoop down and carefully consider. Carefully. It means your brain is really, 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 really working hard on this. It's the same word used of Peter on Easter morning when he goes to the tomb and it says he stoops down and he looks into the tomb. What's he doing when he's stooping down? He's like, he's thinking. Like his smoke coming out of his ears. He's thinking, he's thinking, oh my gosh. So in other words, what it's saying, you just can't carelessly look into this. You've got to really, really, really think hard. And to the point where smoke's coming out of your ears, and maybe it take a long time to figure some things out, but you, 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 you've got to do that. This is what it means to do that. So when somebody has received Christ to save, they're a follower of Christ, they want to, they have a want to that all of a sudden, it's not a have to, you have to do this. All of a sudden, there's a want to that happens in your life. I can tell you from myself, personally, over the years, being in ministry, I have talked to numerous people. Right? One category of people is like, man, they're living a life that... 
I mean, for the most part, you say, oh my gosh, they're so far off from following this. Like, whoa, just way far away. And so if I talk to them about it, they're probably going to be pretty angry with me. Like, how dare you, right? And another category of people over here, who, like they seem like they're really doing this stuff. So when I talk to them about something, they're probably going to say, oh, yes, yes, yes. And you know what's weird? I've had so many times that I've talked to this person over here. And they're like, oh, yes, I agree. I, yeah, I, I really want to look at that. I'm like, are you, are you serious? I talk to the person over here, you'd think they'd be like, oh, yes, let's do They're like, ah! It, isn't it fascinating? There's a want to, not a have to. There's a want to. There's something that's genuinely changed on the inside. Now, I want to talk about three things real quick that causes problems when it comes to the authority of the Bible. Three things. All right, we have three powerful lenses that we all have. And it really affects the way we see the Bible. Here's the first one. They all begin with the letter C. The first one is culture. Culture. We all are living in a culture. We're immersed in a culture. You might not think that your culture affects the way that you view God or you view the Bible, but it does because it just does. We're so immersed and soaked in culture. It's like a fish. You ask a fish, how do you like the water? He's like, what's water? I don't know, water. What, you think your culture is affecting your view of God? Oh, absolutely not. It's just, it's just it's culture. I, I got it. It's all good. Our culture greatly, greatly affects. Now, okay, these three C's, right? This is adulting, so we're going to have an adult conversation. Cool? And we're going to make some uh, general statements about just the way we view things, okay? So let's, if you'll work with me, let's just work our way through these things that we see in culture. In the West... We're in the West. In the West. Okay, we're in the West. We are really into Strawberry God. Saw. Already up there. Yep, I haven't even got to the punchline yet. Yeah. yeah. Soft, sweet, beautiful to look at. I mean, this is good. And you know what? We tend to really be drawn to in the West to a God of mercy, grace, compassion, forgiveness. We're drawn to that concept in the West. Very, you know, very, very strongly. Like group hug Jesus. Just group it. Group's good. Feels good. We're into that. Okay. But we tend not to be so much into the thou shalt not God. Have you ever noticed that in our culture? We're not really into the thou shalt not God, where God begins to put boundaries and he says no. Now, now, particularly everybody in this one area is really, really strong. We see it in a lot of areas in Thou Shall Not, but in the area of sexuality, we're just not cool with that. Like the idea where the Bible says that you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage is like, what? What? <laughs> I mean, that's harsh and bitter, harsh and bitter, right? But, right? We're not, we're not so much... You know, I was so much into that. I was, um, many years ago, I was, at a, I was at a church. I was on staff. I was not speaking this day, but I was just there. And there was a guy that I knew. He, he'd been coming to church a long time. Him and his, this guy was so funny. <laughs> I was standing at the door as he was walking out. And the minister that day had talked about no sex outside of marriage. And they come, they come by me, and she's never been in church in her life. It was like her first time ever being in any ever church in her life, right? So, and she's like, what what did that mean? No, what does that mean? No sex. He says, he was just talking to the teenagers. <laughs> okay. I thought that was great. So we, when it comes to stuff like that, in the West, we say that's too restrictive. That's too regressive. We can't, you know, we can't do that. Okay. That's our culture, right? Okay. Generally speaking, it's our culture. Swim East. 
East is that way. Swim East. Go to a different culture, and you experience something else. So when you get to the harsh, you know, the harsh things of God or the restrictive things, the problem is in the East, the things that God says about sexuality aren't harsh enough. Like, God, could you put a little concrete inside these carrots? It needs to be harsher. It needs to be more strict, okay? But when you come over here to the God of mercy and grace and forgiveness and pray for your enemies and forgive them all my life, <laughs> that's rotten strawberries, baby. No way. I spent two weeks in the Middle East. I was doing a, a study on conflict, and I was listening to people, and they were telling about stuff that had happened 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000, more than 2,000 years ago. And I looked at them, I said, it happened more, you know, the thing you just told me happened more than 2,000 years ago. I'm like, Yeah. Is that a problem? You're right. I'm still really mad about it. I'm like, whoa, ain't no way I'm forgiving them. That happened 3,000 years ago. I'm still ticked off about it. So two different cultures, two different cultures. Which one's right? Of course, your culture is right. That's the right culture, right? But there's two different cultures and two different ways to view, you know, all of this. Okay. God challenges both cultures. It would only make sense unless we're creating God in our own image, in our own culture, then it only makes sense that God stings us with some stuff. That would only make sense. Unless we're Homer Simpson and like everything's cool. Everything's just, you know, banana pudding. All right. So first one is culture. The second one is constitution. It's just the way we're wired. And again, I'm going to speak very generally in nature. We're, we're all born leaning a certain direction. Now here's the deal. The reason I mentioned culture first is because culture greatly affects us and kind of our constitution. It, it plays in. Okay. But we're all leaning a certain direction. We tend to lean red or blue. We all tend to kind of wire this way to go liberal or conservative. It just seems that seems to be the case. And churches are that way for sure. Maybe you've seen that before. I have. You know, so conservative churches really focus a lot on traditional family values, right? Your own personal practices, things that you do, your own personal holiness. And then they'll get into sexuality. I mean, they'll speak about that. I, was a, I, did, a, I did a wedding this past year, and I was um, in another state. And so while I was in the state, I had to spend the night because it was a long way from home. And so I was there for a Sunday morning. And I went to this, I went to this other uh, church, and uh, the sermon was really long, like almost an hour long. And it was just kind of wandered all over the place. Really kind of reminded me of my sermons, but just... <laughs> So about 45 minutes into it, I was kind of in a fog. I was like, you know, you know what I'm saying? In the fog? I see. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, we know what you're talking about. <laughs> Sitting there, and all of a sudden, the whole, the whole church erupts. Amen. Amen. I'm like, I, what happened? <laughs> Somebody get healed? I mean, what happened here? And he was hitting on this, like, personal kind of private life, personal holiness type thing and what you do, decisions you make. He was getting into sexuality and stuff like that. Oh, right? So we have churches that, that, that do the conservative churches, but they tend to be really light on social justice issues. Like human rights, civil rights, they tend to like, oh, okay. They don't, they don't really do that. Liberal churches. Liberal churches are all about the social justice. So if you notice in verse 26 and 27, right, he talks about, talks about the tongue, and then he talks about what is pure religion. Ah, oh, what's, what really, I'll tell you what pure religion, what's pure religion? It's to do what? It's to take after, it's to care for widows and orphans. Widows and orphans were the most vulnerable people in that society. 
And when he says care for him, and we're going to really get into this next week, everybody. When he says care for him, he doesn't say, oh, here's a dollar bill. <laughs> Have a great day. That's not what he says. We'll see this next week. He says you need to advocate. Like you need to actively make sure that everything's okay. That you don't pass them on the street, but actually follow up with them, make sure that everything is cool. And the liberal church, yes, so you'll get amen. You'll get amen. Preach it, brother. That's right. But they'll tend to be light on the personal private, you know, practices, right? That we're talking about the conservative churches in. So which which culture, which constitution is is the right way? And what's really interesting here about James is he brings both of them together. Verses 26 and 27, he's talking about their tongue, which is personal, kind of private. Like we shake hands. We don't shake tongues with people. That'd be, that'd be really weird. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but right after, see, the first service doesn't laugh at any of this stuff. And so I sit here kind of amazed. Like, did I become a new person in between? I don't know. What's... What's going on? Anyway, what are we talking about? We're talking about the tongue. Yes, thank you. But then it says, you know, this thing, this personal. Then it gives this really public thing, widows and orphans. It's like bringing them all together. I, I included a verse for you, Amos 2.7. Because the Bible does this all over the place. All right, speaking, God's not a pa- God is not happy in this verse. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. Bad. Civil rights, human rights, what is wrong with you? Okay? All right? Father and son use the same girl. We're talking sexual stuff here. Father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. So what we see here is that God, right, is, is bringing those two different things together, right? Strawberries and carrots, right? Careberries coming together, Right? <laughs> It's all, it's, all, it's all right there. It's not leaning one way or the other, but we tend to lean. We, we, we lean one side or the other. Okay, so then you have culture, you have, you have constitution. One last thing, one last C, confusion. There's a lot of confusion. So it says here that we're to look intently. Remember Peter? Intently, thinking, 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 underneath the law, thinking, thinking, really. The Bible is a brilliant book. It's a really, really is a, a brilliant book. So if I didn't know anything about math, and one day I just picked up a book on cal- a textbook on calculus, do you think that for some reason after a day of reading it, I'd have it down or after a year or whatever? I mean, it would take a long, it's a brilliant book. The Bible, no matter what, I mean, there's a lot of stuff said about the Bible. Okay, look, it is a brilliant piece of literature. I could, I could make a case for it in a lot of different ways. I'm just going to choose a couple for you if that's okay. Look, all the way from Aristotle, Aristotle was smart, like, IQ of all of us accumulated in this room together, right? Really, really smart guy, Aristotle. All the way from Aristotle to Einstein, another super, super, super smart guy. They all said that this universe was eternal and didn't have a beginning at all. And the Bible, many thousands and thousands of years ago, said what? The very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, right? In the beginning. And then we're like, oh, there's a separation science and it's all disjointed. No, there, there really isn't. This, the book is not a science book, okay? It's not, it's not trying to answer that question. But it is brilliant. It's in the beginning. Did you realize that a priest, a priest came along to Einstein and says, Mr. Einstein, I've been doing some calculations <laughs> and I think you might want to see this. And Einstein said it was the biggest blunder of his entire career. He missed it. This universe had a beginning, just like the Bible said many, 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 many thousands of years ago. And there's, there's so many other points that we could, we could talk about that, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. And here's the thing. Sometimes there's confusion because we carelessly look into it and then we make statements. Or people like me, like me, I'm the problem. I get up and I carelessly look at it and I make these authoritative statements and people like run with it and then it just, 
And so what he's saying is you better watch your tongue. Be careful. Look intently. Think. You know, until you know, particularly the particularities, you know, right? Big stuff, good. But until you, you better make sure, right? So there's a verse, actually, because he talks about holding your tongue. There's a verse in Proverbs that does a great job of saying this. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. So, you know, we can, people will think we're a whole lot more wiser the less we talk. So we ha- it's, this is what he's saying. We have to be very careful because we can add to people's confusion. You have to be very, very careful about spouting off authoritatively about things like this. Now, I'm going to tell you uh, an incident that I had in my own life with somebody. I had somebody come to me and says, you know what? I will never believe in the Bible, ever, ever believe in the Bible. I don't like it. It's a bad book. I'll never become a Christian. Well, why? Why? Why, why do you feel that way? Polygamy. The Bible is for Polygamy. It, 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 it's saying polygamy is a good thing and it's a terrible thing. It's, it's terrible. Well, how, why do you think that? Abraham, right? Jacob, Solomon, these people were polygamists. It's terrible. I, did you ever happen to notice in all of those, I say to the person, did you ever happen to notice in all those the Bible was saying that's a very bad thing? Did you ever that every single one of those examples is an absolute disaster? Did you... Like, did you ever, like, intently, did you, hmm, Solomon's entire kingdom, like, splits apart into civil war after his death. He has a total meltdown. It's an absolute, complete catastrophe. Why? What does the Bible say it happens? Because of polygamy. So, sometimes we make quick assumptions about things, and we need to look a whole lot deeper. Remember, Peter, there's smoke coming out of his ears. He's thinking, 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 thinking these things through. Can I do one last one? Just one last one. I have to do one last one. Slavery. People say, Bible's all for slavery. Doesn't say anything against slavery. I, I, I was watching a news commentary a number of years ago, and um, the commentator was talking about a political figure. He, he was so ticked off that the figure had placed his hand on a Bible and was taking his oath of office, hand on a Bible, and he says, you know, that Bible is for slavery. So there are two major, just everybody, there's two major incidents in the entire Hebrew Bible. There's creation and there's exodus. Now, in case you missed it, what the exodus is about is God saying to the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, either you'll let these slaves go or I will destroy you. And in case you missed that in the Bible, we here in America made a movie about it. It lasts about 25, 30 hours long. It's called The Ten Commandments, right? And it has one central theme. I am against slavery, just in case. And so there's a lot of confusion. There is a lot of confusion. So there's culture, there's constitution, and there's confusion. And I say there's people like me who add to the confusion because we say things that we should have thought much deeper about. Now, what happens to us because of culture, constitution, confusion is we turn ourselves, and sometimes I've done it, I don't know about you, but I've done it. We turn ourselves into Homer Simpson, and we pick and choose, and we go through the cafeteria lines. I like this, don't like this, don't like this, okay? And we create a God in our very own image. Now, when we've had a relationship with Jesus Christ, now, relationship with Christ, you might want to call it the second spiritual birth. You might want to call it, as Peter calls it, the new birth. You might want to call it being born again, although I know that that phrase, like, you know, causes some of us to have shockwaves, okay? But if you could forget all the modern-day political stuff with that, what the Bible, the most pervasive claim in the entire Bible, start to finish, is all about experiencing a spiritual birth. Spiritual, that is where all of this starts. And when you do, you want to come under the authority of the Bible, even the parts that are incredibly challenging to you. Even those parts that are incredibly challenging. You just, you have this want to, like, wow. 
Sometimes I think to myself, why do I? I don't want to do this, but I want to do this. I don't want to pray for my enemies. Why am I praying for my enemies? What's happening here? Something has changed. It's a mark that you've had a spiritual birth, that you want to do the things that are even really, really challenging to you. This whole thing started in the, in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? They said, God says, hey, do this. And they said, oh, no, because they didn't trust God. They thought that they had a better way. So they came out from underneath the authority, and when that happened, like, it all just kind of broke loose. One of the things we're told that happened in Genesis is nature got corrupted. Now, you're thinking a lot about that today, aren't we? Because we've got earthquakes and we've got hurricanes one after another lined up. It's like national airport, you know, they're landing, coming out of the Caribbean. It's incredible. And we pray for people in Mexico and Caribbean, Texas, Florida, all these places have been so... We have two of our staff members from Puerto Rico and all their family are down in Puerto Rico, right? So uh, we, we pray about this. But you know what insurance companies... You watch. What, what insurance companies call this when this happened? These things, these natural... They are what? Acts of God. It's God's fault. But we're told clearly in Genesis, God says, he set it up not this way. It's when we came out of underneath that authority, all kinds of bad things began to take place because we, we, didn't, we, we didn't trust God. We didn't trust God. Let me say one thing, and I'm going to move to a conclusion here so none of us end up in a fog before I'm done, all right? Uh, John Wall. Anybody fan of John Wall? Point guard, Washington Wizards. John Wall. Okay, he's turned into a great, great player. He, yesterday, he was just inducted. It was all over ESPN, inducted to the Kentucky Hall of Fame. And he made a speech, and he made a speech totally crying, like losing it the whole time, crying, crying. You know what he said in his speech? Very interesting what he said in his speech. This guy, okay, for those of you who are not sports fans, I mean, what does the guy make now? Is he making 50 million a year, something like that? 80? 80? Okay, it's, well, he's making, he's, making, he's, making, he's making a lot of money, and uh, he's considered one of the best point guards in the whole league. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Here's what he said in his speech. He said that um, uh, his, his mom, he had a hard time con- coming underneath her authority, and so they were always in conflict with each other, right? They had a lot of friction. Listen to this. At one point, now she knows how good of a ball player he is when he's in high school, because these guys who are that gifted, it starts really young, right? That's why they start with these guys down in like middle school, okay, just in case you didn't know. So he's like in high school now. Everybody knows how good this guy's going to be. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. But he was bucking against her, like, no way. I'm not going to come under it. She took basketball away from him. Ooh, that's a gutsy move. That is a gutsy move because she's probably thinking at that time, he's that good, boy, oh my gosh, he's going to make a ton of money. She took basketball away from him. And he said in his speech, with tears rolling down his eyes, he said, one day, if I ever get married, I hope I marry a woman just like you who, will, who is strong and who will tell me no. Tell me no, because it's been nothing but blessing in my life. There you go. That's what this does. And we hate it just like John Wall, but we end up being really, really blessed by it when we do because God, like John Wall's mother, has the best in mind for us. I just want you to keep that in mind. Like right now, you might be dealing with something like, I don't think so. <laughs> Let's just get rid of that. But it may be, maybe, maybe, maybe because God really has the best in mind for you just like John Wall's mother, okay? All right, this whole thing starts with the new birth and being born again. That is the starting point for all this. And so I want to conclude by saying a few words here, if I can, about the start. Because it all, like, 
I don't want to come under the authority of God's Word. Why would I come under the authority of God's Word? But when I've been born again, when I've had that second spiritual birth, I, I, I want to. So if you're a spiritually adulted, adulting, whatever Christian here today, this is priority number one for you, that we're praying that people would enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the most pervasive claim. As you read through the Bible, you ever wonder these parts, particularly those who read a lot of the Bible? Uh, God says, I choose Abel and not Cain. I choose Jacob and not Esau. I choose Isaac and not Ishmael. Is God just playing favorites? What is he doing there? In every one of those cases, God is choosing the second born. Second born. God doesn't play favorites, but he's sending us a message, emphasizing a message. It's all about the second birth. The physical birth leads to death. The spiritual birth leads to life. And Jesus Christ wants the best for us. And so the Bible, start to finish, Genesis to Revelation, is emphasizing to those of you, particularly if you're Christians, you're in a spiritually deep adulting Christian here today, you feel that way about yourself, then you should be all over this idea of people experiencing this spiritual birth. This is what's being said here. I'm going to say two things about how people get born. Ready? First one is this. People make babies. People make babies. We'll get more into this in a second, okay? But I've never met a baby who said, oh, I just decided one day to conceive myself. So people make babies. That's, that's what they do. Second thing is birth first, rules follow. Birth first, rules follow, right? I've never seen a mom or dad, you know, kind of wheel up to the mom, and she's got the baby there, and the dad gets down next to the bubble and say, we're, you know, son, daughter, whatever's inside, we're going to let you out, but I have a list of rules. I have a list of rules first, and if you agree to them, we're going to let you out. We're going to let you come out and just play all you want, but you're going to agree to the rules. How do you get into a club? You get into a club because you agree to the rules. How do you get out of a club? Because you break the rules. How do you get into a religion? Because every religion is the same. There's a list of things that you do. You get into it, you obey the rules, you get out of it, you disobey the rules. Christianity is radically different. How do you get into Christianity? There's no rules. It's all about birth. Exodus. We talked about it a few minutes ago. So what do they do? They are saved. They are redeemed. They are freed. They have a spiritual birth. And then weeks and weeks and weeks later, God meets them on Mount Sinai and gives them the Ten Commandments. The rules always follow later. God is not interested in behavioral modification, and we get that confused all the time, okay? First comes the birth, and then comes the want to. First comes the birth, then comes the want to. And where we get it confused is we impress upon people the, 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 the do all these things, and then maybe you'll be born, and that's not how it works. So it's birth first, and then rules follow, right? It's the mark. The mark is to desire the Word of God. When a baby is born, they want to eat. I don't know how many times you've been around a little infant that's just been born, but a healthy baby, they want to eat. So when somebody's been born, one of the marks of somebody who has experienced a spiritual birth, like, oh my gosh, I never studied this before, and I just, I'm going to church all the time, and I'm signed up for five Bible studies, and I just can't, I'm like reading it every morning, what's happened to me? You're, you're born. You, you've had a spiritual birth, and you're hungry. You want the milk of the Word. That's just what happens. This is what James is saying here, Okay. Second and last thing, all right, and we'll end with this. Uh, Jesus' last command to the disciples in Matthew 28 was go make disciples. What exactly does that mean? What is the very first command given in the entire Bible in the book of Genesis, right? It's a command that we love. Do what? Anybody know what it is? Be fruitful and multiply. We're like, yes. That's awesome command, right? 
And I know a lot of guys, like they say to their wives, don't you love the Bible? Don't you, aren't you, don't you want to honor the Bible? Okay. All right. Well, let's honor the Bible. Okay. All right. So here's the thing, everybody. Here's the, here's the thing. Right. The Bible, again, the pervasive claim of the Bible is about the second birth. It's spiritual in nature, not primarily physical. It's primary. So what's really being said there? Christians make Christians. Babies don't conceive themselves. You have a group of people who really, really, really want to have a child. Do you really want to have a spiritual child? Do you want to make a spiritual baby? It is the primary number one command. They just recently surveyed uh, churches, and they found churches where you're having a high number, a high, a better than average amount of people who are entering into a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. It is because, that, here's the common denominator between those churches, is because the leadership in that church and the, those coming to that church actually keep a list of names, and they're praying for people. They're praying for friends and families and neighbors and on and on and on, that they would come into the relationship with Jesus Christ. It's priority number one. If you're a, you want to know what it means to be spiritually adult, according to James, it means that you are praying all the time. Now, he ends the entire book in James chapter 5, okay? This is the way he ends it. He says this. Elijah, he talks about Elijah. Moses was the lawgiver. Elijah was the life giver. Moses was the lawgiver. Elijah was the life giver. Look at the life given here. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Okay, that story is found in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a phenomenal story. It's an incredible story to read, but here's the bottom line of the story. There was a drought in the land. There was death. There was death. And he prayed, and the rains came, and life. Now, what's that really talking about? It's talking about spiritual life. Now, the description given in 1 Kings 18 is really important here. And here's what it says. This is what he did. Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees, and he prayed. And then the life came. What is, what's up with that? You know why that's so interesting? He's praying hard, but how is he praying? With his face between his knees. You didn't, I mean, men didn't pray like that. That's the birthing position. It's a birthing position. He's praying to give birth to life. And what James is trying to say to us here is, are you, as a spiritually mature Christian, are you on fire for that? Because if you are, if the Spirit of God has entered your life, then you want to not only come under the authority of this, but you want to see other people experience a spiritual birth in their lives. You're very, very hungry for that. Some of you know this, but my father-in-law, Big Russ, who played a major role at this church for so many years, passed away about three-ish, about three weeks ago now, passed away. And uh, for much of his life, he ran as far as he could get from this. He didn't want to have anything to do with this at all. But he had a daughter that prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I tell you what, the more she prayed, the farther he got farther he got. She prayed for a decade for him, and it seemed absolutely hopeless. And then all of a sudden, in one day, boom, the Holy Spirit opened his heart. He, had to make, he told me, he says, John, I thought I was going to be the next pope. It was like God came, <laughs> came right, in, right, right into my kitchen and personally visited me, and he had an amazing transformation. You know what he did right after that? He like wore his Bible out. Like his Bible fell completely apart because he couldn't, he was like a baby, just born. He couldn't eat it enough. He was just digging, 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 digging into, into the Bible. Is that a priority for you? Is it a priority for you? Maybe today you're here and you've never felt God opening your heart to that spiritual birth. I just want to encourage you. Maybe, maybe today is the day for you. Maybe you feel like God is like, oh, okay. 
I feel somehow the Spirit is giving me understanding and opening my heart. And I just want to say, our prayer team is right on this wall. We'd love to pray with you. It's an amazing thing when the Spirit of God comes into your life. All of a sudden, things that didn't make sense make a whole lot of sense. Okay? All right. Well, uh, we're going to go pack some produce if you'd like to help. I'm going to pray. We're going to pack. I'm going to pray. Then we're all going to go pack. And I just ask, if you have children down in Graceland... They would, they would love you, like a big strawberry love to you if you would pick up your kids before you pack, okay? Does that make sense? All right. And if you're new, I'd love to meet you over there at Grace in Five. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It's, uh, it's amazing. It's powerful. And um, just want to ask God that all of us would just gain a deeper understanding of you, Jesus, and who you are. And uh, we know that uh, our own culture and our own constitution and then you know, um, our own confusion that we experience, whether it's by ourselves or maybe somebody has said something that's hurt us deeply and brought confusion. God, help those things to kind of fall by the wayside and that we could see the purity of your word and respond to it. And Lord, for those that you're opening their hearts to right now uh, to experience this amazing spiritual birth, uh, Lord, let it just come to pass in all of its glory because we know that you have uh, our best in mind. Father, I just ask your hand upon every single one of us uh, today and all week long. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for coming. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.